0: Hey everybody, welcome to the DC Podcast. My name is Pastor Tony Gilmore. In a world where the word love is thrown around loosely, many people say, I love pizza, I love that movie, I love that car, but very few of us really understand what real love means. In this series, Reckless Love, we will see what love really looks like and how we should respond to the extravagant, unconditional love of the father this series man y'all hear me say it every month it's life-changing because i believe every series is life-changing because it comes from god but this series right here right here this series (laughs) is life-changing because see Reckless love, and and it's it's crazy when I dive into it over the next few weeks and you hear the different theological arguments about the use of the word reckless in terms of understanding God's love. But to the world, God's love is reckless. Why would a holy God have his son down the cross for unholy people who didn't even care about him, who wasn't even thinking about him? And so that's what we're going to unpack for the next few weeks. We're going to look at some of the powerful stories of the Bible and how God's love radically changed someone's life and how that love caused them to reciprocate a loyalty and a devotion that is beyond anything that you could ever imagine. So let's stand to our feet as we get ready to dive into this first part of reckless love. And the scripture is found in Luke chapter 7 verse 36 through 39. And it reads, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And the woman, I mean, and behold, a woman of the city, (laughs) a woman of the city, interesting statement, who was a sinner when she learned he was reclining at the table in the Pharisees' house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with hair on her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So the title of today's message is simply put, So What? (laughs) Father, we thank you. You're here. So Spirit of God, your anointing is on me to deliver this gospel. God, give me the articulation of speech to give it to your people the way you gave it to me. Spirit of God, let your love fall so so unmistakably on this place that whoever under the sound of my voice would be radically impacted by the emphatic and extravagant love that you have for them. Today, God, speak to your children in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we live in a world that's hurting. The world is hurting. Our systems are broken. And lives are hemorrhaging. And Jesus knew this. He knew that the people that he would encounter weren't going to be the holiest of people. Weren't going to be the most upright people. He understood that when he would encounter different people, that they would come from different backgrounds. They would have stuff in their life. They would have mess in their life. They would not be so primpt and proper. They would not be so clean and dapper. He understood that the people he were going to encounter were a mess. And yet he still engaged them that would be an indictment against some of us. We've become so holy, so righteous. I can't stand being around smoke. Can't stand being around people that drink. Can't stand being around people that cuss. When they cuss, it it vexes my spirit. But those were the people that Jesus ran to. Bring your cussing and your promiscuity and your sexual connotations and all of your stuff. I'm so God. I can handle all of that. That was the Jesus that the Bible talks about. People don't run from Jesus. They run from his followers. It's not, you know why people don't like church? People love Jesus in some cases. They just don't like church because they don't like church people. Because church people say they're like Jesus, but they're really not like Jesus. They, they don't walk like him. They don't think like him. They don't see like him. So people are like, I don't want to go to church. You wonder why your coworker for five years has seen you carrying your Bible. Know that you go to the Dream Center. Know that you love God. Why is it when I ask them to come to church, they say no? Because they don't want your version of Jesus. Here's Jesus with this woman. The Pharisees are like, man, Jesus is the next thing popping. Everybody wants to listen to Jesus and Jesus is pointing them to God. So Jesus must be on our side. He must be like us. He said, hey, I'm going to put some 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 ham hocks on some some greens and and then I'm say Jesus come over and hang out at my house So the Pharisees, they they see this. The Pharisees are the religious leaders of that day. They are the church people of that day. And he invites Jesus over and is like, okay, you know. And you know, they were always trying to hem Jesus in. They were like trying to ask questions to try and get him to disqualify himself. But they invited him over to the house and he's coming over to the house and getting ready to sit at the table. And then this woman from the city Yeah, yeah, from the city. Maybe Brooklyn, Illinois was her city. For those of you that don't know what's in Brooklyn, don't worry about it. Let it go. You're good. But this woman from the city who was a sinner heard where he was going to be. And she took the risk of going into a place where she knew she was going to be rejected to be in the presence of Jesus. I know the Pharisees don't want me there. I know they know what I do for a living. The woman of the city gives a connotation theologians say as a prostitute. So here is the prostitute walking up into the church house. Or maybe the pastor's house. And these religious leaders see her come in and she immediately bypasses everybody at the door and and with tears in her eyes because she senses something from the presence of Jesus. She gets down on her knees and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Sorry, I can't illustrate that one for you. (sighs) But she wipes his feet with her hair and takes this box, expensive box, a year's wages box, because we will give up. See, whatever we value the most, that's what we give to. She valued Jesus so much that she took what would cost her a year's wages and laid it at his feet and and wiped his feet with her hair. And the church people are like, who invited her? Why is she in here? And Then they say, well, wait a minute you're supposed to be a prophet, Jesus, because they don't recognize him as the son of God in this moment. They they can't even grasp that thought. It's like, but you're supposed to at least be a prophet. So you already know who she is. I don't even think he needed to be a prophet to know who she was. You could tell probably by the way she was dressed or maybe by other way, he knew who she was. He didn't need that. And they're like, how, how can he do this? And knowing that she's a sinner. See, when I look at this story, I look at the fact that there she'd heard about Jesus, but she wanted to get close to Jesus. And then when she got close to Jesus, everybody else would reject her in the religious circles. But it was something about this rabbi, Yeshua, that didn't reject her, but drew her closer. The very presence of God, God himself in the flesh didn't repel her away, but he drew her close. And she comes close to him and tears come down her face because, and I, I, I remember this quote by, by Chad Beecher that this, people don't always remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. And it was something about Jesus that made her feel accepted, that made her feel beloved. She didn't know the seven seals and didn't understand revelations, which wasn't even written yet. But she knew she'd come in contact with love personified, that when everybody else rejected her, there was something about this rabbi that said, you are accepted by me. See, the Jesus I grew up with, he was judgmental, legalistic, unattractive. Because all I could think about when I came in contact with this Jesus was there's so much wrong with me, he would never want me. But the Bible says that there is what I like to call an irresistible Jesus. Jesus. That even in the middle of my sin, even in the middle of my mess, there's something about Him that draws me to Him. It's like when you know when you water down certain things and try and mix in certain things, it doesn't taste the same, doesn't. But there are some things when you get it in its purest form that taste so good that you're like, wait, 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 wait. No, uh, when I go to Starbucks, I want a caramel latte. Please don't put any extra water in my caramel latte because I want it the way I want it as pure to the thing as possible because there's something about the purity of a thing that draws you and makes it taste better. But when we water it down and we add in our own lines and we create our own theology and we think about the fact that I have low self-esteem and because of my low self-esteem, since Jesus received me, I can only feel better if I put you down. But the same Jesus that picked you up, dust you off, wiped away your tears and washed away your sin is the same Jesus that's available to the prostitute. Don't you ever forget where you were when you came to Jesus. You didn't have the house that you had or the wife that you had or the husband or the car. You didn't dress the way you did. You didn't talk the way you do. You didn't have the job that you had. If it had not been for Jesus, where would you be? The same Jesus that picked you up wants to use you to pick somebody else. Up. John three sixteen and seventeen out of the voice. I love this. It says, "For God expressed His love for the world in this way: He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him will not face everlasting destruction." But we'll have everlasting life. And here's the part that I love. Here's the point God didn't send his son into the world to judge it. Instead, he is here to rescue a world headed towards certain destruction. You realize without Jesus, the world's already judged. Jesus didn't come to judge it. He came to rescue us. I'm going to say this statement and this might be a problem for you. Jesus is a friend to sinners. Jesus is a friend to sinners. While you're detested and while you're running away and while you're trying to not be in their circle and not trying to be around them, Jesus is a friend to sinners. Pastor Aubrey said something yesterday in a pastoral care meeting and I had to run home and write this down in my notes. He told the team, if you want to know what love looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know how you should handle your unsaved coworker, your unsaved neighbor, your unsaved friend, all of these different things. And listen, I understand about influence and you got to be careful how close you get to people because of influence. And and if you uh, do too many things with people who aren't doing what you're doing, it could jack you up a little bit and you'll get off in your faith. I get all of that. But to say that you can never be around a person that doesn't know Jesus means this. You're never going to get anybody saved because you gotta be around people that don't know Jesus to attract them to Jesus. You are the only Jesus that they're going to see. I love this statement. Jesus came not for fixed people, but to fix people. He didn't come for fixed people, people that were already together. He came to fix people. Allow me to to break this down just a little bit. We had a debt that we couldn't pay. Sin was a debt that we couldn't pay and we had no way of getting out of debt. There was no chapter seven bankruptcy to just wash it away. No chapter 13 repayment plan to get you out in seven to ten years. We were stuck like Chuck (laughs) with no way out and no opportunity to be saved. But Jesus paid the price for our sins. And you all know what it's like when you owe a bill and you can't pay it. They call you, you're out with your friends. You look at the phone, yeah, that's that dude again. You got the kids answering the phone. You know, it was worse, I I gotta do this, sorry, this has nothing to do with them, but this was funny to me. You know, back in the day before cell phones were made, uh, it was a little tougher to avoid and and walk in integrity with uh, bill collectors. Because it's like when they called the house before caller ID, your kids would pick up the phone and they'd be like, oh, mama right over there. And you're like... (laughs) Tell them I ain't here. Got your kids lying at seven years old looking right at you. Because... When we owe a debt that we can't pay, we usually run from the debtor. And that's what we spent years doing with God. We knew we couldn't come to him. We knew we couldn't get close to him. And so we would run from him over and over again. And we were given a version of Jesus that wasn't irresistible, that wasn't attractive, that was judgmental and condescending and critical. And we would run from God. And God is chasing you, saying, slow down. It's not what you think. Stop running. I've already made the way to accept you. I know you can't pay the debt. So I paid the debt for you come to me all ye who are weary and they're heavy laden I'll give you rest you don't have to run anymore I paid it for you this story right underneath in uh, 41 through 48 in Luke 7 he begins to tell this story of the money lenders he said he had two debtors one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them do you think will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom the can- you, he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? See, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in she did not cease to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many. <laughs> are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. See, the word forgiven means to cancel a debt or a liability and to pardon somebody from the punishment of their debt. And this is the bomb I want to drop. The challenge with some of you all loving God back the way that he has loved you and responding is because you don't really understand how messed up you were. You think that you were a good sinner. You weren't that bad. You weren't that far off. You were this close to God. But we were all Far from God. Our lives, the Bible said our best acts were like filthy rags before God. See... This is what I've learned to understand. This is just me. You be where you are. That the reason why I cry during worship, the reason why I kneel during worship and raise my hands the way that I do, the reason why I get on stage and I'll lose it for a moment is because I know how messed up I was. I know how jacked up I was. I know how far from God I was. And if he would die on a cross and raise from the dead, just for me, he is worth every ounce of my love. I love him with my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, my hands, my feet, my love, my mind, my tongue, my eyes, my ears, my nose, my toes, my everything, why? Because I knew how messed up I was. Maybe the reason why you can't praise them the way you want to praise them or no, 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 no. (laughs) Maybe the reason why you can sit there and not praise them is because you don't understand how close to hell you were. You don't understand how far from God you were. You think that you are able to act yourself into this thing. None of us can act ourselves into this thing. If it wasn't for the love of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God, we would all be headed to hell. This woman understood I'm messed up. I'm off. I can't do anything to be right with God. And God himself came in the form of a man, died on a cross, paid my debt so I could be like I was never in debt. I, because Jesus... And God's love, I can live today like I never owed anything. He has declared me righteous. But, hey, I'm still struggling. That's all right. He has declared me righteous. But I'm still walking through some things. That's all right. He has declared me righteous. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you are righteous. Now turn to your other neighbor and tell him you are righteous. Now give God a praise for his righteousness. Oh, I'm righteous because of the blood. I'm righteous because of your love. I'm right with God. I am approved, accepted, at peace with God Almighty. Why? Because of his love. Because of his love. Yeah. That's why we take that moment at the end of worship, even in the midst of our storm, even in the midst of our pain, to say, thank you, Lord, because my money might not be there yet but I'm righteous. My car may not be there yet, but I'm righteous. My marriage may not be fixed yet, but I'm righteous. My kids may not be right yet, but I'm righteous. And because I'm righteous, I have the right to everything that belongs to my daddy. Come on, sit down. We, got, we, almost, we almost there. We almost there. Whoa, that wasn't even on my notes for y'all to go like that Oh uh, my God. Come on. See, love does three things. Love sees what nobody else can see. See, while you are a mess at your worst, didn't know God, God looked at you and said, That's not who you are while you were jacked up doing the wrong thing, making the wrong decisions with the wrong people in the wrong places, God could look and say, that's not who you are. What God had to do was begin to get you to see you the way he sees you. I love this scripture in Hebrews 10 and 14. For by one offering... He has made, or he has perfected forever and completely cleansed those who are being sanctified. He says, you know what? By Jesus' act on the cross, I've completed you, made you perfect while you're still being sanctified. He, basically, the writer in Hebrews is saying, God sees you, come on, get this, complete. He sees you perfect. He sees you together. And see, when you can begin to see you the way that God sees you, you'll start moving away from some of that stuff that you've been attracted to. When you understand that love sees you like this, you're like, no, this doesn't This doesn't jive with who I am. No, hey, you're cute and all of that, but you're not what I'm looking for because you don't jive. I can't accept less than. I'm not gonna settle for less than. Why? Because God sees me perfect. Oh, I don't have it all together. I'm still struggling with cigarettes. You may still be struggling with alcohol, but I tell you, if you get in your mind that I am the righteousness of God and God sees me perfect, you will begin to act the way you see. It's this incredible story. Walt Disney had passed away before the Walt Disney Park had opened. His wife was at the ceremony and there was the MC and he got up and introduced his wife and after it was all over, he walked over to her And he was like, wow, this place is incredible. He's like, Miss Disney. Man, I wish that Walt could see what he built. She looked at the young man and said, He already saw it. He is the architect, he made the blueprints. Before one brick was laid, he saw it complete. See, right in the middle of you being developed, right in the middle of your mess, right in the middle of everything that's wrong with you, God isn't looking at you like that. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. You are getting there, but I see you already there. And man, when you can shift the way that you think to say, oh, this is who I really am. Your thoughts, your actions, the way that you live begin to line up with who God says you are and not. See, you'll stop judging who you are by your current circumstance. Everything that's in your current circumstance, you'll see, oh, this is just temporary. My struggle with this, just temporary because that's not who I am. Number two, love goes where no one else goes. Love goes where no one else will go. Luke 14, and 24. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded, I've done. And still there's room, the banquet table that the master was calling to fill. And the master said to the servant, well, okay. We tried this and that. Go to the highways, the hedges, the alleys, the liquor stores, the strip clubs. Go in there and compel people to come, because I'm filling my house. He's like, you know what? Since they don't want to go, don't sweat them not going. Move on. Go to the destitute, the broken, the lost, the disenfranchised, the hopeless and tell them they have a seat at my table. See, God has a seat in his house and at his table. And he's like, it isn't about how much money you make. It isn't about your socioeconomic background. It's not about what neighborhood you grew up in. It's not about how great you lived your life to this point. The seat at God's table, you can only sit at God's table through one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. You, when you accept Jesus as savior and you get washed by the blood of the lamb, guess what? You get a seat At God's table, I'm still struggling. That's all right. Pull your chair up to the table, but I don't have it all together yet. That's all right. Pick up your fork and eat. You at your daddy's table, but I still got struggles in this area and that area. He said, No, 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 you don't understand. I already see you through that while you're still in it. I see you, so come to my table. And love is willing to go to the ends of the earth in places nobody else is willing to go. And the last one. Love comes when no one else will come. When nobody else comes. Love comes. The scripture in Lamentations. 35 357 and 58 says, You drew near on the day I called you. You said, Do not fear. Oh Lord, you've pleaded my soul's cause. You have guided my way and protected me. You have rescued and redeemed my life. It's like love will come rescue you when everybody else has abandoned you. I love the way that David said it. He said, though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord is gonna come and take me in. And when we understand what love looks like, see, this is the part of love that is reckless because it doesn't make sense that God would come and get people. It doesn't make sense that God would save Paul, the apostle, and after he was antagonizing his children. But see, love doesn't care about all that. All love needs is a yes. If you say yes and give me your life, love will do whatever it takes to get you out of your mess and get you on the right track. It is love that rescued you. It is love that delivered you. It is love that brought you up. It is love that overcame that situation that you were in. And when you question if anybody cares or if anybody wants anything to do with you, love will come down and show itself. And this was the part that was cool for me. As I was going through this whole message and I was looking at the woman and the Pharisees and them saying, "If Jesus was a prophet. Don't you know who she is? And what Jesus said by telling the story of the debtor and by telling her that her sins are forgiven. He didn't say that to them. He said it to her. And they're like, So y'all say I shouldn't talk to her. You all say because of her reputation, I shouldn't be around her. You all say because of what she did, who am I to tell her that she is forgiven? You You know what he said? So what? You say that I shouldn't save them. You say that they shouldn't be delivered. You said that they've done too much wrong. You said that they've messed up too many lives. You say that they've done too much. And he says, so what? I'm not bound by what you say. I'm not bound by what you think. He says, so what? So what they are a liar? So what they committed adultery? So what they committed sex before marriage? So what? She has five babies by four different daddies. So what? When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, the same blood that washes over a married couple that had five kids in marriage washes over a single mom who had five kids out of wedlock. The same blood that washes a virgin who stands and doesn't have sex before marriage is the same blood that washes someone who is promiscuous giving their body to everybody. So while the church people say. And the religious people say only this group deserves to be saved and only that group deserves to be saved. God is standing at heaven looking down through Jesus Christ and saying, so what? So what you don't think they qualify for this blessing? So what you don't think they deserve the promotion? So what you don't think they deserve to be married? So what you don't think they deserve a good family? So what you don't think they deserve that degree? I am God, and I made a way for every human being, no matter what condition they're in, that if they come to me, I'll save them all. And I'm gonna do it right in front of you. When that woman was at his feet, the Pharisees are like, How can she get that close? Why does she get that access? Why can she come in just like that and sit next to him? We haven't been able, we had to invite him over. She just came over. You know why? Because God's like, I'm looking for anybody who is bold enough in the middle of all religious thoughts, all the people that say you shouldn't, all the people that say you don't deserve it. I'm looking for somebody who is bold enough to take me at my word and say Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost and broken and messed up and disenfranchised. He said, all you got to do is come. They say you don't deserve it. They aren't your God, I am. So, so what? So what? You are righteous. Because you're righteous, God says, I know you messed up, but when you make it right with me by repenting, I restore you as if it never happened. I know you lived for me for years and you walked away. It's like I've been waiting on you. You've been running. <laughs> you, you've been running from me thinking that you would never qualify to be with me, baby. Let me tell you, you never qualified to be with me. I qualified you to be with me, and all you gotta do is take my qualification. And when you take it, I'll accept you just like you hadn't done it. My God. I didn't preach myself happy right now. Like, woo! So listen. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. The blood of... The Bible says where sin abounds, what does grace do? More abounds. So the deeper your sin is, the higher God's grace is to bring you and save you. So today, if you're here, this is the reckless love of God. That he's not thinking about your neighbors. He's not thinking about what anybody else says. He's not thinking about all that. He's just thinking, if you come unto me, I'll save you, bring me your issues with sex. Bring me your issues with alcoholism. Bring, no, 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 don't try and fix it before me. I need you to bring that baggage with you because I'm gonna take the baggage that you brought with you, I'm gonna flip it and you're gonna use that same baggage to go out and show somebody else the reckless love that I showed you. Hope you enjoyed that message. If you live in the St. Louis area or ever plan to visit, we'd love for you to join us at one of our services at 4324 Margareta at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. services. Be blessed. We hope to worship with you soon.